0: Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. Our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Frederick Douglass once said, it's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we we'll look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've
2: been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. I'm Jonathan, and that long-term, different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done, in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 1,010th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years.
1: And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website, messages, Facebook, our chat board, and every other way possible. So let's get started. Hello, Jonathan. What's happening, and what
2: are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question for our podcast is, how parental is our parenting? And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 17. Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will always delight your soul. Okay,
1: how parental is our parenting? Folks, look. We are losing our grip, really. There is a battle for our children that is raging before us, and we are losing it miserably. Raising children does not at all look like it once did a few generations ago. Back then, parents were expected to control their households, and children were expected to grow up within that control. Now, you might argue that such an arrangement was a little rigid, and maybe in some cases, perhaps. Now, children and their feelings have become the idols of their parents lives and those parents dutifully bow before and serve the desires the hormones and the natural immaturity that their children display. You might say that such an arrangement is a little well a lot permissive.
2: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yeah absolutely is right. So what do we do about it? How do we think act and respond to our present Parenting crisis, how do we swim upstream against the current of pitiful parenting and grab hold of and apply principles of powerful parenting? So, Jonathan, this is about the struggle to parent with power and godliness. That's what this is about. And folks, it's always our objective with each subject we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the context of the scriptures that we cite, we try to find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think
2: about. Don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. Chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on air. Okay, so, Jonathan, I
1: want to get started with an initial premise here, all right? My premise is pretty simple, and it's very straightforward. My premise is that we, as parents, don't really care about our kids. Wow. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Uh, That's a little harsh, isn't it, Rick? (laughs) Yeah, but I stand by it. We don't really care about our kids, Now, why would I say such a thing? Because every parent that you know is going to say, what, are you crazy? Of course I care about me. Well, this needs a little bit of explaining. So let's get into this this whole idea of parenting and what are we supposed to do? What we want to do today, Jonathan, is suggest five parenting principles that we believe to be scripturally-based guidelines for what we want to call powerful parenting. And as such... These principles, these five principles, can change your children's future. So let's dive in. What's the first parenting principle?
2: A caring parent is positioned to raise a caring child. Parental caring is acting according to the best long-term interests of those entrusted to you. Parental caring is not a series of emotional displays. It is a series of courageous actions. Okay,
1: caring. And, you know, my premise was we don't care about our children. And that's why we're starting with the whole premise of caring. This first principle is a caring parent is positioned to raise a caring child. A lack of understanding of this parenting characteristic is, I believe, the chief reason we are losing the parenting battle of our day. See, Jonathan, in my mind, we think we care about our children, and I'm going to explain this as we go, but I'm going to, to, uh, to propose that we actually love the idea of caring about our children, but we really don't care.
2: Are you saying that we're lazy?
1: I'm saying that it's even worse than that. Oh. <laughs> okay. I am, okay. Saying I am This, this bothers, obviously, this bothers me. I've already, my face is already hot and we just got started. <laughs> uh, because, <laughs> folks, when you look around, what do you see? You see, you see kids that don't know how to grow up. They don't know how to lose. They don't know how to deal with things that don't that aren't aren't in line with what they want or think or feel, and and something's wrong with that picture. So we want to get into into that. So so Jonathan, we're gonna go to a um, a soundbite, and this is from Glenn Beck. Now look, a lot of folks don't like Glenn Beck. He's He can be a little nuts sometimes, I'll admit it, but I like the guy, okay? I, he's a good thinker, and that's what uh, attracts me to 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 listen to him periodically. The following is a portion of a reaction piece regarding the recent Florida Florida school shooting, okay? So and that was an utter tragedy. And look, we're not going to talk about the Florida school shooting. It's not to to take a political stand on one side or another, but he brings up a point that I had not realized that I think is really important, and it has to do with parenting. So this is what he calls the epidemic of fatherless children, and we're going to be going back to this a couple of times.
3: He grew up without a father. Why aren't we talking about that? The data is so clear about the links between fatherless children and violence and suicide and dropping out of school and drug and alcohol abuse. Of the deadliest mass shootings in the last 15 years, nine of them were committed by males under 30 years old. Seven of those nine came from fatherless homes. Now, this isn't a drum up sympathy. Oh, we're trying to make... No, we're not. We're trying to understand it. And obviously, not everybody who grew up without a father has their life ruined, becomes a criminal, becomes a murderer. But America has an epidemic of fatherless homes, and we are only
2: getting worse. And he's right. Rick, uh, the facts show that the value of homes with fatherly influence are great. But what about a child raised by a loving mother with good influence, why would they, these guys from the soundbite, do things mentioned so horribly?
1: Well, you know, and, and that, that's a that's a hard question. And you know, if if there's a mom with good influence, it doesn't it doesn't mean that a mom can't raise kids by herself, because that can right. it can certainly happen. But when you have the the, the ideal design of a father and a mother and boys growing up in the, in the environment of having a father who cares, who has integrity, who believes in righteousness, the chances of that boy growing up to be a real man are dramatically higher. For a single mom, it can be done, but it is an enormous, enormous challenge. And I will take my hat off to single moms who struggle their way through that. I think that they're totally awesome for working so hard, but they're, they're fighting an uphill battle, really.
2: Rick, we have a main focus uh, with our podcast. God is our ultimate parenting example, isn't he?
1: He is. He is, and we're going to go every single segment. We're going to go back to the parenting principles that we're talking about. Caring, a caring parent positions is a position to raise a caring child, and we're going to look at God's parenting first. So to understand God's parental caring— it's, it it's it's important to look at his treatment of the entire human race as his children through the scope of not one small little life not your life or my life or 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 the apostle paul's life or noah's life or Moses' life but through the scope of eternity through children through eternity god's parenting parent, parental caring began in genesis so let's go back jonathan There is so much in Genesis that teaches us about parenting. It's astounding. Genesis 2,
2: 15 to 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. So God cared. He cared in those
1: verses. You know, we typically look at that as, okay, that's God, you know, setting man in place and, you know, winding him up and say, go. But there is a ton of stuff here. He cared by providing a growth environment. He provided a place for him to grow. What else did he provide for him?
2: Well, he provided work, responsibility, rules and consequences, Rick.
1: Okay. He says, you are supposed to cultivate. You are supposed to keep. You're responsible for this garden. So he gave them, he gave him work and the responsibility of of being the caretaker of what would feed him. And then there were rules, and says,
2: there's a tree, don't eat from it, and there are consequences if you do. And Rick, God also gave Adam value and accountability by giving him this responsibility. Right. So God's parenting example right from the
1: start is powerful. A growth environment, work responsibility, rules, consequences. And we're only three verses in Genesis, okay? So he's laying out for us what we need to do. Let's go back to, to Glenn Beck just for a little, little bit, epidemic of fatherless children, because he's going to go through some statistics that I think are very, very revealing.
3: In 1960, 5% of American children were born out of wedlock. Today, that's over 40. 40! And it's not getting better because marriage means nothing to people. Why does it mean nothing? I hear the lecture my grandmother gave me. Do You think your grandfather and I loved each other all those years? Well, yeah, Grandma, I kind of did. No, marriage is hard. Sometimes we chose just to stick it out because we were married and it meant something.
1: You know, and and that sounds almost harsh like, "Oh, so you're saying you have to go through misery and pain and you know, instead of going your separate ways?" And the answer is, "Yep." That's what we're saying. Because it's so important to live up to that higher standard. 5% were born out of wedlock
2: to 40% these days. Go ahead. And Rick, a problem with this is children are not learning commitment. Right.
1: Yeah, and and when we don't learn commitment we don't learn responsibility. And when we don't learn responsibility, we don't understand maturity. And if we don't even understand maturity, there is no way to grow up. That's why I say, parents don't care about their children. We love the idea of caring about our children, but we don't care about them because caring, like you said earlier, is not A series of emotional displays. Caring about your child is, oh, you're so cute. Let me hug and kiss you and you're the best child ever. That's wonderful. That's good. That's necessary. But caring is a series of courageous actions. Caring is an action. It's not a feeling. Get it straight. Caring is an action, not a feeling. Let's go to the New Testament now. Okay, with that in mind, the New Testament obviously adds the dimension of Christ, but it still is teaching us how to parent and lead with caring intentions and actions. And again, that's the theme here in this first segment. Caring actions, caring intentions, not how you feel. Stop with the feelings, start with the actions. 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 14
2: to 19, we'll, we'll break it up in some pieces. I am not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, You do not have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Rick, Paul took a huge role for the gospel, a father figure to the body of Christ.
1: Wow. You know, it's interesting that he's talking to the Corinthians, and the the amazing thing is the Corinthian church was really messed up. Okay? They were way off, and for him to assume the fatherly role— To such a troubled child (laughs) was pretty brave, I think, on his part. But he did that. He said, look, I am not ashamed to treat you like my own children. And the message is, I'm going to tell you things that are hard for you because you are so important to me. Caring not how you feel, but caring by action. If we are not acting in a way that's best for our children, for their ultimate maturity, then our caring is just feelings, and, it's, and it's, 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 a, it's like being on a hamster wheel, running hard, working up a sweat, and going absolutely nowhere. Emotions bring you nowhere. It's actions.
2: Let's go to verses 16 and 17 from 1 Corinthians 14. I appeal to you, then, be imitators of me. For this reason I sent you Timothy, who was my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ Jesus, As I teach them everywhere in every church.
1: Okay, so he's saying that, you know, I'm letting my son, my beloved son Timothy, it's like your older brother, I'm putting you under his
2: jurisdiction because he understands it. You're too young, he gets it. And it's okay to be a copycat. Follow me (laughs) as I follow Christ Jesus.
1: And that's so important. That's part of really, truly caring, is finding something to latch onto that's bigger. And teaching your children, follow that, because it's important, because it can bring you someplace. Okay, verses 18 and 19 of 1 Corinthians uh, 14.
2: But some of you, thinking that I am not coming to you, have become arrogant. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power."
1: So he's saying, and this is so, so typical of our world, you know, we're so great, we're so powerful, we're so bold in our opinions when we have anonymity, when we can do it by typing on a computer screen and not having to face someone. Back then, the Apostle Paul says, yeah, you guys are big, big in talk, but I'm going to come and I'll, I'll look you in the eye. Let's see how strong you are then, because you need to grow spiritually, and I'm going to help
2: you do that. That's Very fatherly.
1: <laughs> fatherly action it's not about how you feel see Paul not only speaks as a spiritual father he points out the difference between being a father and a guardian and a big brother as well and that difference is authority parental authority is rightly expressed as we display parental caring for our children with actions that move them toward maturity see parental caring Jonathan once again it's all about action it's not about how you feel. It's about what you do for your child's ultimate benefit. And a lot of times, soothing them now doesn't help them later. Folks, we've got to get our head around the idea of truly caring for our children and what it actually does mean so that we can put things in a proper perspective. So caring for our children is not only
2: uh, the big picture, It's actually work. It is. It needs a lot of work and discipline, as caring is so much more than we generally think it is. What do we base their caring action on?
0: You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features, and you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic.
1: Because caring is a verb and not an adjective, it really does need a clear source. Any action in our lives has a place or thought of of origination. For caring to be nurturing and effective, it must come from our most powerful personal reservoir of integrity and righteousness, else the action of caring will not be balanced and will potentially bring damage. So, Jonathan, caring doesn't come from oh, my heart goes out to my child. I'm not saying your heart shouldn't go out to your child, but it should go out to your child through actions of forming and shaping and helping them grow and develop through the hard stuff. You know, integrity and righteousness are impossible to teach unless you have them. You can't teach your kid to have integrity unless you have it first. And most of us, don't bother to teach our kids integrity. We teach them it's okay if that's how you feel. You know what? Yeah, sure, it's okay that that's how you feel, but it's not okay to live in how you feel when the world is gonna require more than that from you. So caring, again, I I stick with my premise. We don't really care about our children the way we ought to. What's the second parenting principle?
2: Well, Rick, a competent parent is positioned to raise a competent child. To have parental competence is to be mature and grounded in character. It is adopting within your character the lessons of the experiences of life for the purpose of growth and long-term victory.
1: Okay, so we've got caring as the big picture, and then competence is built upon the caring. Now, true competence can't be fully learned from a book. It has to to be learned through life. You can learn the idea of competence... But it is a character trait that has to be learned through standing up and falling and standing up and falling and standing up and falling. Um, Jonathan, one more point on, on caring. I want to drill this thing home. Our present-day emotional expressions of caring uh, are not protecting our children, but they are protecting our own feelings at the expense of our children. That's harsh. That's true. I know it's harsh. But it's true, folks, you got to think about that. So now that I've gotten so serious and I'm beating everybody up, <laughs> let's take a moment to, uh, to, to have, have a little bit of fun with this whole thing. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Tim Hawkins who uh, does a sort of a stand-up comedy routine, and he's musical, and he part of it, he does a lot with parenting. And he takes modern-day songs and, and rewrites a verse about the parenting thing and a lot of the music he uses are the kids music and he is hilarious absolutely hilarious so we're going to visit with him several times today because it just gives you a sense of something to to laugh about so this is tim hawkins with his little song verse about um oh i don't know no i'm not going to buy you an iphone
4: we're at the mall the other day they're just begging me for an iphone for an hour (laughs) I finally said, dude, I'm not gonna buy you an iPhone Cause you ask for it like you need one You don't, I'm not gonna buy you an iPhone You're insane if you think I'll pay for it So be on your way, I'm not gonna listen Go away You're wasting all your time, here's a dime If you find a payphone, let no iPhone Today, and that's what I am <laughs>
1: I see. I love that. You know, things like that. You know, you got to laugh when you're talking about such a serious subject. Jonathan, we have a great quote here from Robert uh, Fulgham. Jonathan, you there? Okay, Jonathan froze for a moment. So the quote is, don't worry that children never listen to you. Worry that they are always watching you. Okay, don't worry that children never listen. Worry that they're always watching. And folks, they do pick up on what you say. Um, and what you do rather, okay? They don't listen, well, they do, but they just don't tell you that they're, they're, they're listening. But, you know, watching you is such an important thing. And um, Jonathan, you're still frozen there on, on our connection. Jonathan's not in his normal location. Okay, you're back. I see you now. Okay, Jonathan, you had a comment? Oh, okay, no, he's, uh, he's going to reconnect. So, Trish, you had a Facebook comment that you wanted to share with us.
5: Uh, yes, I have a Facebook comment, and it comes from That's doorbell. Yeah, Jonathan Jewell bringing <laughs> in. Jonathan, hang on. Uh, it's from Patrick. He says, my father taught me to pay cash for everything when possible. My dad or stepfather took me to church, taught me to fish, tie my shoes, save money, work, tithe, serve others, etc. He also raised five boys that weren't his and decided not to have kids of his own so he could raise us. I guess he taught me how to be a man. Thank you, Patrick. We love hearing from our listeners, whether it's during the live podcast or any time during the week. Just go to christianquestions.com or our Facebook page.
1: All right, thanks, Trish, for that. And it was a great, great comment by a, from a man who learned from a man who wasn't his natural father, but was raised by somebody who cared enough to teach him integrity and righteousness and how to actually be
2: a man. Jonathan, glad you're back there, brother. Hey, I'm glad to be back. But uh, my, my quick comment was about the quote, um, what's the saying? I'd rather see a sermon than hear one anytime. Our parents are watching us always.
1: Yeah, you're right. You know, And, and that, that's such an important thing. We have to be the sermon for our children. We have to be it in our actions because actions are bigger than our words. They really, truly are. So let's go back to God as our ultimate parenting example.
2: Pick, pick up for us there. God's parental caring was a result of his parental competence, which was displayed in the unaccountable intricacies of his earthly creation. One intricacy which is often Brushed aside was the creation of woman from man. Okay, the competence of God
1: as a parent. If we look at the overall creation story, it speaks volumes to parenting. So one of, the in, one of the ways that God's competence is revealed is in how that whole story unfolded. This part of the story is often overlooked, but this is powerful and powerful in terms of lessons of competence for parenting, And remember, competence is being mature and grounded in character. Competence is internal. So Genesis 2, 18 to 24, we're going to break it up
2: in pieces. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So what of God's parental competence, Jonathan? Well, Rick, it was shown in the foresight of Adam realizing his lack. Okay. He was lonely. He was alone. And
1: God did that on purpose. That's competence. That's foresight. That's wisdom, saying, I need him to understand the value of the partner that I'm going to give him. So to understand it, I'm going to withhold that partner at the beginning. That's parenting. That's it's like, well, why would you, why would you withhold something good from your child? Because I want them to learn the value of it. That's competence right there. Okay? Verses uh, 21
2: and 22 of Genesis 2. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Okay. So God's
1: parental competence, how, how is it now? What, what's the next step of it?
2: Well, Rick, it was displayed— in evidencing to Adam that the woman was part of him. See, he wouldn't have learned
1: that. It wouldn't have meant so much if she was already there. God's competence, God's wisdom, God's character said, this is going to be the most important relationship of this human creation. I need to make it stick. So you can see the wisdom, the competence, the character behind The process and then finally verses 23 and 24 of Genesis chapter 2 and this is this is Adam's
2: reaction and the conclusion the man said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh
1: so how do we describe God's parental competence in that part of the verse?
2: Well, Rick, it was evident in Adam's own conclusion. God acted and Adam learned. Competence. Oh, go ahead. You look like you're going to say
1: something.
2: Well, I, I, I wanted just to just mention a, a kind of a personal story. Go ahead. Um, I only had one child, and he didn't have any siblings. And when we played games together, like ping pong, we love ping pong, My wife would always say to me, why didn't you let Paul win? (laughs) But when he truly earned it, it brought him great joy and accomplishment, and he grew to the challenge, and that's why I didn't let him win. So it really wasn't because you wanted to win. I always want to win, <laughs> but, you but you know, he, he eventually beat me. <laughs> right. But see,
1: but see the point w- that you're making is there's a growth process and exactly. learning, learning to be a gracious winner means you learn to lose and you learn sportsmanship and you learn effort and you learn discipline and you learn to, to you know, come back. There is so much value in, in letting a kid lose. There really is. It's, it's incredible. It's competence. You have to have that internal fortitude to be able to do that. And, and that goes very much along the lines of our next soundbite uh, from CNN. It's uh, why it's so important to let your kids fail. And again, for a lot of parents, you're going, what? Why would you want to do that? Well, let's listen.
6: I usually catch myself when I do it. My kids come home with a great mark on a test and I say, good job, way to go then I think, wait a second, am I supposed to be saying good job? Aren't I supposed to be praising the effort, not the result?
5: Why is that so hard to do? It's harder when they don't do well.
6: Why is it so important to let our kids fail?
2: That helps us in life to learn our way. Nobody in life succeeded 100% of the time. And teaching our kids how to do that and to see the opportunity in what felt like tragedy that's when we become
0: better participants in life rather than people who would rather not play the game at all and play the game and
1: lose. To see the opportunity in what felt like tragedy, those are gems of, of, of parental guidance so that we can do the proper parenting because it feels like a tragedy to a kid, but they can eventually learn the value of it.
2: Okay. those are life lessons, Rick.
1: Right, and that's the point. The point of caring... The point of competence, which is what we're talking about this segment. The Apostle Paul focused on teaching with parental competence so as to bring those taught to the same competence that he had. See, maturity goes hand-in-hand with freedom and privilege. And the moment we don't keep that equation intact, maturity goes hand-in-hand with freedom and privilege. The moment we begin to give freedom and privilege without maturity... We start to lose, and it feels like you're caring to give freedom and privilege without maturity, but you're not. You're feeling like you're caring, but you're really not. Courageous action is what's required. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5,
2: verses 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Okay, what about parental competence from this part of the Scripture? Well, Rick, it was necessary to be able to call out immaturity. See, a parent
1: can't call out immaturity unless they're competent, unless they are, have had the experience and the character to rise up to the level of being able to call it out and, sh- and say what it is. So it's important for us to develop that competence. Competence, remember, is internal. Uh, verse 14 of Hebrews uh,
2: chapter 5. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. And what of parental competence there? Well, Rick, is required to be able to see, spell out, and solve the issues at hand. That's maturity. Right. Required to
1: see, spell out, and solve the issues. You have to have competence to do that and then to teach that. Let's go back to that CNN piece on why it's so important to let your kids fail uh, and just hear the final part of the explanation of the importance of failure.
5: My son was in a play. When I gave him feedback, his immediate thing was, I can't. I can't pay attention. I said, well, that's what you've been practicing to do. That's, that's just supposed to try. And then he started crying. Oh. What if I, what if I try my hardest and you can't tell I'm trying? But that third performance, he did a lot. You know, he did a better job, and I'm not the only one who noticed. So, so I'm wondering, should I have told him from the beginning? Should I have stepped in? It's good that you didn't step in. Because if you're always stepping in, he's going to think he has to learn everything from you. It lets him trip and fall.
2: But then you talked about it and you gave him some feedback. You gave him some time to walk away and think about it. He solved the problem within himself and came back and you saw better results. So understand that just because your kid might feel upset in the moment, you didn't break them. You have to help them to be more self-reflective. And, and that's what you want to talk about even with him.
1: Okay. That's such a powerful statement. You didn't break them but you help them be more self-reflective. Kids failing is good because that's where you learn. And, and you know what? Adults failing is also good. I'll tell You're you. right, Rick. The best lessons I've learned in my own life is when I've fallen flat on my face and you get up bloodied and muddied and everything else and you say, man, what did I do? And then I'm not going down that road again. You don't learn yeah. from success.
2: Amen, brother. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, uh, let's go on to
2: First um, Peter 2:21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Okay, so true Christian competence
1: is a breeding ground for parental competence. So you know we keep saying you know parental competence. It's a it's a uh, it's it's a character trait, and you think well okay, how do you get to a character trait like competence? And one of the answers to that, Jonathan, is develop. Christian living principles, true Christian living principles, not, oh, God, I want something, please give it to me. That's not true Christian living. True Christian living is that life of footstep following after Jesus and sacrifice and putting others first and and rising to the highest levels that you can and having integrity and godly righteousness. That's what true Christian living is. That's where competence develops. And then that's where we can begin to teach our own children. So really here, Jonathan, the good and bad news are the same.
2: To be a competent parent, you have to grow up. We do, and for some, that may not be so easy. Parental competence is driven by our character development. How do we express it to our children?
0: We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time, then reach out to us at christianquestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation.
1: Alright, let's review for a moment. Parental caring is the overriding action factor in parenting and it's fed by parental competence which is essentially maturity of character. This maturity of character is evidenced by how we actually respond to the trials and difficulties of life. Our response to these things identifies our next parenting principle. So Jonathan, there's a process. Caring is the big picture. And caring isn't how you feel about your child. It's what you do for your child's ultimate growth and development. Not what you do so they're happy in the moment, okay, but for their ultimate growth and development. Because sometimes their ultimate growth and development requires a very unhappy moment, day, or week. It just does. And these are important things. So what's the third parenting principle to build upon caring and competence?
2: A capable parent is positioned to raise a capable child. To be a capable parent is to have the capacity to absorb the challenges and failures often encountered along the road and use them as tools towards your ultimate objective.
1: Okay, so being truly capable, okay, we're building on caring and competence, being truly capable is applying the character lessons of competency in your everyday even when no one else knows and so jonathan capable is external competence is internal that's the difference between the two you can't really do well with one and not the other you got to have both of these pieces working together so um as we want to start to think about that let's go to somebody who is very capable in terms of songwriting and very creative let's go back to tim hawkins and his parenting songs and uh, this one is, um, oh, I don't know, a song about when you have a teenager and they're giving you trouble and, you know, you might need to ground them or something. So uh, listen to this. It's hilarious.
4: I got an older kid now, man. I had to use a Chris Daughtry song the other day. You stayed out too late last night. I heard you sneaking in. Hanging out at who knows where Don't even try to blame this on your friends and Trust me, dude, it won't happen again You're staying home It's the place where you belong you done wrong and now you're grounded for a week I still love you But you keep breaking your curfew You'll regret how late you chose to be. Your abuses and excuses are getting close. So you're staying home. You're staying home.
2: Well, Rick, parents need to set boundaries for children's safety and well-being, even if the children don't realize it boundaries provide a sense of comfort and security
1: you know and that that's such an important thing that i think we forget children need boundaries you know my son tim is is he's in the coast guard and he 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 thrives in that in that environment of of rules and clarity and focus and he's a really 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 hard worker he does dangerous work and all of that but when he was growing up Jonathan he didn't want he didn't want a boundary he didn't want a fence he didn't want nothing he wanted to plow (laughs) through everything and it was a struggle with him and the, the the thing we as parents had to do is really be be firm and put our foot down and it's interesting that the one, that the child that was so against the boundaries is the one that so thrives in the boundaries as an adult. So awesome. you got to stay with it. You just have to stay with it. Great uh, quote from Johann Wolfgang, uh, Wolfgang van Goethe.
2: There are only two lasting bequests we can hope to give our children. One of these is roots, the other wings. If you
1: don't give your children the roots first, they'll never develop the wings. See, parenting today is all about wings. Fly, my child, be free, without giving them the guidance, without giving them the experience, without giving them the challenges, without giving them the maturity and the integrity and the righteousness. A child, they, they're not going to be able to fly. They're going to they're crash land and it's going to be very ugly later on. Let's go back to our favorite example of parenting, and that is God as our ultimate parenting example.
2: God's parental competence gave Adam the ability to see deep meaning. God's capable parenting was expressed in his managing of man's sin.
1: Okay, so now we get to the point where man sins, you know, Adam and Eve sin, they eat the the fruit they're not supposed to eat, and now God is going to deal with it. Well, how does he do it in such a capable way? Jonathan, this set of, set of scriptures, when you think about it from the in, in, in the terms of parenting, is absolutely profound. Genesis 3, 8 to 13, again, we'll break it up in pieces.
2: They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? So... What's that got to do with parenting? Oh, everything. God's
1: capable parenting was patient. Why?
2: He did what he normally did. He sought his children's company.
1: So you get a sense of the of the fellowship in the garden, because it says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now look, I don't know what that sound was, but I know it wasn't like the sound of, like on Jurassic Park, when you hear the Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what it was, okay? I don't know what it was, but there was a distinct sound when the presence of God arrived. And so what he did, he knew there was problem, and he did what he always did. He sought their fellowship that's the first part and then and they said you know um they're hiding and so the god god's calling now look you can't hide from god let's understand that okay
2: (laughs) yeah that that won't work right
1: so he's calling like where are you well he knows where they are but he's calling them anyway because he needs for them to speak for themselves what what's said in verses 10 and 11 of Genesis three?
2: He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So man's
1: response was very honest. I heard your sound. I was afraid. I was naked and I hid. And God said, "Well, wait, wait, wait. Who told you that? Who told you that? How how did you get there? So God's parenting here his capable parenting is now being shown to be direct and wise why
2: and rick he asked even though he knew the answer
1: and that's capable parenting so what do we have so far we have patience we have being direct we have being wise he asked a question even though he knew the answer why did he ask because adam needed to say the words And, folks, this is a lesson in how we should parent. Verses 12 and 13.
2: The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay. What's next with God's capable parenting? Well, Rick, it was attentive and firm. He directly responded to his son's explanation.
1: Okay, attentive and firm. So the man said, "You know, that, uh, well, she she did it." And then God immediately turns to her and says, "What'd you do?" And of course, she says, "Well, he made me do it." You know, <laughs> so passing the buck. But you see, God is there being attentive to where they are. That is a powerful lesson of parenting. Be present with your children the way God was present with him, his children. He was patient. He was direct. He was wise. He was attentive. And he was firm. Wouldn't you like to just be that way as a parent all the time?
2: Oh, that would be awesome.
1: That's being a capable parent. And remember, a capable parent is positioned to raise capable children. Let's go back to Glenn Beck one more time, the epidemic of fatherless children. Last soundbite, remember, he he quoted some statistics on, um, you know, 5% of of children were born out of wedlock back in 1960. It's up to 40% now. It's like, okay, we're missing something dramatic here in our society.
3: Having a father isn't a guarantee of anything. It's not a cure-all. We make our own choices, we're responsible for our own choices, and there are plenty of abusive or fathers that are in the home but are completely absent. Trying to be a good dad seems like a niche thing these days. Trying to be a good man, I don't even know what that means. How do we expect a teenage boy to understand what a man is when you can't even talk about it? Try to understand what a, what is a man? Tell me, what is a man? What is a good man?
1: You know, and it's interesting that he's asking that question, because while we're talking about parenting, you and I are both dads, and, you know, being a good man has been one of the things that we have talked about between us for many, many years, from when our children were very young, and now our children are all grown up and out on their own. But being a good man, being a good parent, is applying the principles of Christianity and standing for something that's bigger than you.
2: That's when: it is. And Rick, society today devalues yeah. the purpose of the father raising the children, yeah. which is so sad.
1: And, and we're seeing the results of that. Whether we want to believe it or not, we are seeing the results of that. We are seeing men who are growing up to not be men, but to be boys. And the level of maturity. And I'll tell you, don't want to get into this, you know, it's too much of a tangent, but athletes, a lot of the athletes as I'm watching them and hearing the, the, the commentary on them and what they say and what they're doing and all that, they're childish. And, you know, they're at the top of their games and they're world-renowned and they're children in men's bodies and it's really, really very discouraging. So, anyway, no, we won't go there. God cared enough to show us that we needed competent characters and gave us the tools to make us capable. So God knew that we not only needed that competence, that that moral character, but he gave us the tools so we could do something with the moral character. Ephesians 4, 11-15 helps us to see that, and again, we'll break that up in pieces.
2: The gifts he gave them were some were apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Well, Rick, uh, elders were and still should be chosen from within the congregations by the raising of the hand. And based on the selections of these congregations, the elders had different abilities. Some loved prophecy and just focused their, their studies there. Some were evangelists. They were passionate orators. They were inspiring some were pastors shepherding the flock, protecting the flock, and others were teachers. They, they had the way of bringing the lesson home. Isn't this kind of the same way we as parents should be doing these different things for our children?
1: Well, no, and that's part of the reason you have two parents, is that you combine the talents and the abilities and the observations of two very different people toward your children. And, and Jonathan, look, you know, you know me. I'm a very directed, very... Once I decided on something, you know, just I might be a little guy, but sort of like, get out of my way, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> You'd know it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but see, here's the thing. in raising children, I in my directed way, there were a lot of times where I missed things. And Trish would frequently say, "Hey, Rick, you know you need to spend a little more time with Emily." I say, "Well, whoa, what do you mean?" You know, and she and she'd describe it and explain it. And I'd say, uh, okay." You know, and like, yeah, sure. And I would do it. And sure enough, every, sing- every single time, you know, it's almost aggravating. Every single time <laughs> she was right because she could see it. She knew that that particular child needed their dad a little bit more at this particular time. And by being willing to listen, we were able to fill the gap together. And that's the same picture, Jonathan, like you were saying. Different talents bring you different things. Work them together, and you've got something special. So capable parenting is revealed in the equipping of our children for the work of adulthood. That's what we're talking about here. Now let's go to verse 13 of Ephesians
2: chapter 4. Until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ.
1: Okay. Okay. What has that got to do with capable parenting?
2: It's showing maturity. Capable parenting is tested in the length of the process necessary for children to mature. Okay, it's
1: a lengthy process. You see, Jonathan, emotions don't stand up when the process takes a long time. And that's why my original premise of parents don't really care about their children because we shower them with emotions, but we don't shower them with actions of integrity and righteousness and growing and maturity. That's why I say that because the test is in the length of the process and capable parenting understands this is a long haul. I'm going to be at it for a long time. I have to stand firm. And to stand firm, Jonathan, you have to have the competence and the tools and the capability as well verse 14 of 14 and 15 of ephesians chapter 4
2: we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine by people's trickery by their craftiness and deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ and rick for the body of christ plugging into the ecclesia arrangement fellowship studies personal and group. That's how a, a, a healthy ecclesia operates. How as a family do we operate? Well, that's see, the question.
1: Well, you know, and, and that's an important question. And we should follow that example of, of pooling our resources and working together. Now, now, look, in, in, a, in a household, in a, in a family, you have a mom and a dad, You're ideally. Now, sometimes you don't. I get that. And ideally, the mom and the dad have integrity, okay? And if that's the case, the family operates under their umbrella of wisdom and guidance and decision-making. The children don't make the decisions. The children learn to live by the decisions so they can understand what it means to follow because you don't become a leader unless you're a great follower first. So capable parenting here is crystallized when it does not back down from its driving principles. And see, that's so important. You can't back down from the important things of life. And too often, Jonathan, our emotions about caring for our children, and we don't want to hurt their feelings, and maybe we're going to damage their self esteem, so I don't want to do that. Stop it already.
2: Stop. Do the things necessary so they can grow. Children, both spiritual and physical, have little strength and need capable parenting, Rick. Absolutely, positively. The
1: children don't have the strength, the adults have the strength. So being competent is internal and being capable is external. Sounds like a full-time
2: job. It is. Let's pull it all together and take the next step. Caring, competence, and being capable. All is good so far, but what about managing our emotions?
0: We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's quor We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now.
1: Emotions are truly where the battle of parenting is usually won or lost. It goes back to our original premise that parents, are no, that parents no longer care about their kids on more than a feelings level. The next parenting principle needs to be a centerpiece of our parenting efforts if we are to have any real opportunity for success. So Jonathan, we've got caring as the big picture. And again, caring is not a feeling, it's action. It's courageous action of righteousness and integrity and helping your child to grow up. Then we've got competence, which is the character development. Then we've got being capable, which is character development in action and learning through your own experiences. Now we've got the fourth parenting principle. And what is that?
2: Uh, Well, Rick, uh, a controlled parent is positioned to raise a controlled child to exhibit parental control can be an extraordinarily different parenting characteristic for it requires firmly governing your emotions. This is a tough one, Rick.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is, this is really in many cases where the rubber meets the road. Pa- parental control. Okay, and that can mean a lot of things and we'll develop that as we go. It Parental rec- control requires learning. Now, listen carefully to this. It requires learning to see yourself from the outside in just as your child would see you. And it requires action based on righteous principle and not your immediate feelings or reactions related to circumstances. To exhibit parental control is not for the
2: faint of heart. Like you said, it's a tough one. And and Rick, what would a practical example of this be? Because I'm trying to get my head around it. You know, for me,
1: the most practical, the most relatable example, because parental control can come into all kinds of, of situations with with you know the circumstances of living and, 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 and situations arising. But the most relatable, I think, is when we get angry. And you know, and I, I've told this story before, but for me, I'm a passionate individual. And raising children, one of the decisions I tried really, really hard to live up to was to never let anger, lead me, but to use anger as a tool when I thought it was a good tool to use. That meant that when I was angry, it didn't give me permission to spout off. I had to, and I had to do this, Jonathan. I had to step away and think, you know what? My kid doesn't need me to be angry right now. They need me to listen. And I had to walk back in and be settled and calm and listen because I didn't believe anger would help them. Occasionally, they needed to see me angry, okay, and that was few and far between. I remember one specific circumstance with my my youngest daughter where she had lied to me, and this was was becoming a habit, and uh, I thought, you know what? I've tried every other way, and I was angry with her, and I was so angry, and I let myself be angry that I walked out, and I got in the car, and I drove away, and she was petrified, and I wanted her to be. Now, I wasn't angry to the point of raging out of control. I drove away because I thought, she needs to see that this has got dire consequences. And I came back 20 minutes later, and she came running up, dad, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. But are you? And then we could talk. Use anger only as a tool, and that's few and far between. That to me is the the strongest example of that. And that, thats you know that—that's pretty heavy stuff there. So that is thanks, Rick. Yeah, let, let's lighten it up. Let's go back to another Tim Hawkins song. I mean, I love this guy and his creativity. And this is uh, about a kid's attitude, you know. And you know, how often, folks that of you that, that have or had teenagers, how often does their attitude need a check? How often does their attitude need to change? Let's listen to this.
4: What about John Mayer, man? He's gonna have kids someday in the car. I think I might write this song you better quit all that complaining don't want to hear another sound if i hear any more whining i'm gonna turn the car around you got a little television and you had enough to eat if you don't change your disposition i'm gonna leave you on the street so i'm waiting <laughs> for your attitude to change i keep on waiting well you're attitude to change. You say that I ain't fair. I guess that would matter if I care, so I keep on playing. Well you're to change.
2: He's a riot. I just love it. You know? He is. That's great.
1: You know, and and you know again, you have to laugh when you're dealing with stuff like this because it's tough. And if you, can, if you can find the fun in it and the, and the humor, it gives you the strength to go on a little further. Ellen Key has a great quote here.
2: At every step, the child should be allowed to meet the real experience of life. The thorn should never be plucked from his roses. Such an important point.
1: Never take the thorns from the roses of your child. Let them experience them so they can learn by them. Uh, let's go to another CNN uh, soundbite. This is from raising spoiled kids. Okay, we talked about you know l- letting your children fail. This is raising spoiled kids and how not to do that.
6: My kids will say, "Mommy, please, please, can I have this?" They will ask me day after day after day, and eventually they will wear me down, and I will say yes. What is the advice? so that as parents, we're not gonna bring up spoiled kids. What you want to do is raise children who have a process to get from A to B that makes them feel good about themselves, makes them be able to say, I've got this. I feel like my children are never satisfied and happy with what they have. So that's really, I think that's my my issue. Don't worry about if your kids are happy or satisfied. They're never gonna be happy or satisfied. And you don't want them to be. Because you want them to look at the world and say, I want more, I want more, I want more. But you want them to be able to do it in a way where it comes from their efforts, not poking at somebody else.
2: Go ahead. And Rick, if somehow you let your children earn what they want, they would appreciate it so And you're teaching a life skill.
1: You know, and and that's such an important thing let them learn to appreciate by going after something themselves show them how move them forward prod them and push them along but don't do it for them you know give them that opportunity and you're right when you earn something it means so much so much more back to god in our as our ultimate parenting example what's next in terms of parental control
2: well rick his parental control has been on display for ages and was first exhibited as he firmly dealt with the sin of his children.
1: Okay, so now we're going to go into the dealing with the sin of his children. He, in, the, in the last segment, he exposed the sin of the children through the capability and, and his wisdom. And now we're going to go into it, in God's controlled response to the sin of his children. Genesis 3, to 24
2: Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever.
1: Okay, what has that got to do with God's parental
2: control? Well, Rick, uh, soberly, God weighed the facts of sin upon the scale of justice.
1: So he's saying, you know, you're hearing God reasoning through it. And look, God already knew the answer, but we're seeing the reasoning for our own good. It's written so we can understand this is how you parent. And he said, I see them, what they've done, I know that there has to be a change because of what they've done, warrants a specific consequence. Verse 23.
2: Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken.
1: And what's that got to do with God's parental control?
2: Well, God's parental control, Rick, followed through. He punished his children and continued their responsibilities. He punished them. And he
1: threw them out of the garden, and he says, you still have to cultivate the ground. You still have work to do. So it's interesting that there was that punishment, but there's still responsibility. Nothing less has been put in place. He's still keeping the pressure on because that's how you
2: learn. Uh, Verse 24. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And what's this got to do with God's parental control? Well, Rick, it was firm and powerful. He would now guide his children in a way that their choices warranted, an environment that would teach them the full consequence of sin.
1: And we are still in
2: that environment. And Rick, God didn't um, change his original consequence because he felt bad. (laughs) For Adam and Eve, even though he would watch them suffer, He saw the bigger picture. He saw eternity. Rick, he had consistency, didn't he?
1: He had consistency and he had control. He controlled, you know, and that's the lesson. We have to control how we feel so we do the right thing, whether it's controlling your anger or whether it's controlling your wimpiness. Both of them need to be controlled so we end up doing the right thing. Back to CNN raising spoiled kids and learning not to do that.
6: So if you're passing by an ice cream truck and you really, really want ice cream, what would you, might, what might you say to your mom?
4: Please mommy, oh, you never let me have Mr. Softy. That's
6: exactly what and, just happened. And do you think that the more you do that, your mom might give in eventually? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to be a big kid? Yes. That's right. So guess what? We need to make choices to show that we're a big kid. And you know what's going to happen? your mom is going to offer you ice cream. Wake you? I am? <laughs> yes. Thank you. After he shows big kid behavior. Oh, right? Interesting. I know with our little boys, the number one thing that they want to feel like is that they're growing up. And so incentivizing them to do behaviors that show that they're a big kid will get them the big kid goodies. And it also helps to train him that you are an authority because at the end of the day no child wants to be in control of the situation and you fast forward a decade he needs to know that you are competent capable and you can get the job done
1: a lot of good stuff in that sound bite. and i will confess that competent and capable that's what gave me the idea of the whole of all five okay <laughs> very good i heard that i said wait a minute that's really awesome what else is there and that's how this all started so it came from there first just so you know But you know, she's saying, Jonathan, just what you were saying before, you incentivize the child. And by not giving in, by controlling yourself, by controlling your emotions, you stand for that which is highest and you teach them how to strive for that. It's powerful and it's really difficult. So, good, were you gonna say something?
2: No. Oh, okay. You're
1: good. So let's get now to our parental control. You know, we we looked at God's example and how he dealt with sin and how he followed through exactly on the consequences as he said he would, which is a huge example for us. Our parental control entails not only controlling our emotions, but also the controlled the continued rather, the continued diligence necessary to see a long-term, challenging and demanding job through to the end. Parental control is necessary because this is a long, this is a marathon event. Our parental control requires us to teach with continuity. Proverbs
2: 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it.
1: Okay, so train up a child, the, it, show him the way, walk him through the way, and when he gets older, that's something that he will go back to. It doesn't say that you know he won't get frustrated in the middle, but when he's old, okay, he won't depart from it. What's next uh, in terms of our parental control?
2: Well, it desperately needs daily wisdom from above, Rick, to provide proper guidance.
1: And we find that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4.
2: Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord.
1: So, so Jonathan, here, let, let's pause for a second, because in this scripture, you know, we're, we're talking about having discipline and integrity and righteousness and maturity and all of that stuff. Well, how do you do that? This says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, here's a news flash. We have to bring ourselves up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord first.
2: Know his word.
1: Then we can take what we have learned from his word and apply it to our children. And look, maybe you're new at this Christianity thing. That's Okay. Apply the principles as you are learning them. As a matter of fact, show your child what you are learning and how you're learning to be a better parent and watch the respect that they develop for you.
2: What a great example that would be!
1: It would be if we would just do it. What's our next parental control uh, uh, uh,
2: point? Well, Rick, it reminds us to see our children as children and help them up the ladder of maturity. Maturity
1: is a ladder it's something that has lots of rungs on it and obviously the lowest rung is closest to the ground for a reason because that's where you start but if you can work your child onto that first rung and then the next one you know and you know most of us are tall some of us taller than others some of us are a little lacking in that department like me but the point <laughs> is if you're standing by that ladder you can hold your child's hand up to those first four or five rungs now they're starting to get up really high and eventually you have to let them go and just coach them. That's what it's like. That's the journey toward maturity. Colossians 3:21.
2: Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So it
1: doesn't say don't discipline them. It says don't
2: exasperate them. So what should we do then? Well, Rick, we need to train them, praise them, discipline them, coach them, be an example to them, give them grace to grow. Like God gives us. We've got to use
1: godly parental control. So, again, control, Jonathan, is not just controlling your temper, okay? It's not just controlling the environment. It's controlling what you say. It's controlling how you teach. It's controlling that child's ability to see things or do things. It's controlling what they have and what they don't have. You know, there's something to be said, and parents, Pay close attention to this. There's something to be said for children not having their electronics all the time. <laughs> yeah. I am telling you that electronics, as cool as they can be and as, 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 as valuable a tool as they can be, they can also be the devil's handiwork. They absolutely can because it absorbs your child, and I've seen it happen, and what happens is they get so obsessed with the game that they forget the reality. And we have to be really careful with that parental control is what's necessary here, just like in so many other parts of our life. So our parental control, Jonathan, encompasses a lot, and this is really hard because sometimes, I would say most of the time, how I feel is not what I should be doing. I should be acting higher than how I feel as a parent. Got to do that. Okay, so this can all feel kind of exhausting. And,
2: overtake you.
1: Um, yeah, look, okay, Let, let's wrap this segment up, Jonathan. This can all feel kind of exhausting because there is so much at stake.
2: There is. Let's hone in on the question of making it all work. How can we practically and continually apply all these principles when we are so faulty?
0: If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly, but we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy.
1: There is one more thing we need to desperately need to keep our parenting ship on course. It's a compass. When you're away at sea, there are no landmarks, but there are fixed points of, of a compass. Just like a mariner needs that compass, our parenting principles need the fixed points of godly instruction and continually to to continually check our course. And Jonathan, that compass is not something from within. It's something from without, okay? The compass is the godliness that we attain from Scripture. Um, Okay, let's touch on our fifth parenting principle, what it is, and then it looks like Trisha's got a comment for us.
2: A conscience-driven parent is positioned to raise a conscience-driven child. To be a conscience-driven parent is to be in willing submission to a cause and force higher than you.
1: Okay. Conscious, Conscience-driven. You know, we talked about caring. We talked about competence. We talked about being capable. And we talked about being controlled. Bottom line, end result, we have to be conscience-driven in order for all of this to work. Trish, you're back.
5: Yes, just a quick comment. Um, It's so important to be the example as a parent to do it first. Put the electronics away, (laughs) please.
1: Yeah, so what you're saying is... It's great to tell your kids to put the electronics away, but parents, you do it first. You stop texting. You stop checking your email. You stop checking your Instagram and all that. Now, look, Christian Questions uses all those things. Check those, but not when you're with your kids, okay? You got to do this all in the right time and in the right context because it's so important. Kids need you. They don't need your screen, okay? Let's just remember that. So a conscience-driven parent will be able to raise a conscience-driven child. The human conscience is faulty, and at its very best, it's unreliable. So we need to have our conscience tuned to the biblical principles of godliness and Christ-likeness. To be conscience-driven is to regularly and willingly act in accordance with the dictates of the high road
2: of spiritual integrity. Rick, sometimes we make mistakes, and we need to admit them to our children, and in so doing, can be our greatest growth experiences, not only for us, but also for them to see our example.
1: Yeah, You know, and that's, a, that's in, such an important thing. In, in the event, especially if you make a mistake with your child, maybe you snap at them and you shouldn't have. One of the great, great tools of parenting is to be able to sit down with that child once things settle down and say, you know what, daddy said something and he shouldn't have said it. I am sorry because that was not called for. To be able to admit that to your child and still keep the, 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 the hand of discipline because what you said or what you did does not negate what they had done, does not negate the necessary consequences. It's just part of the journey. But that's part of being conscience-driven. So, Jonathan, just one last song from Tim Hawkins in his parenting songs. And this is my favorite one. It's a little bit longer. And, you know, it's about, you know, to set the stage, you know, they're in the car. They're waiting for the kid to come out of the house. And they're just waiting and waiting. And let's just listen.
4: I think finally I would love to see like Bono from U2, Head Kids. I would love it. I think it would go something like this. Hear the car out in the drive See us all waiting outside And we wait for you We are going to the store We've waited long, we won't wait more And we'll leave without you Living without you. Living without you. Oh, we will leave with or without you.
1: I love that.
4: <laughs>
1: anyway, you know, you put it in perspective, and again, you laugh a little bit, and then you say, okay, let, you know, laughing just makes you feel better about everything. You say, now it's time to get back to work, with or without you. <laughs> you know, It's just so, it's so cool. A great uh, quote from
2: Plato. Let parents bequeath to their children, not riches, but the spirit of reverence. And there is such power.
1: In leaving something like reverence to your children, again, to be godly conscience-driven is to give your child reveren- reverence. What's a God, as our ultimate parenting example, Jonathan, last time for this, this uh, podcast, what
2: is it? God's conscience-driven parenting saw the inevitability of sin and planned for its payment long before anyone knew so
1: god's conscience understood sin would come and the beautiful thing about god's conscience is his plan made a way for sin to play a positive role in the long
2: run genesis 3 verses 14 and 15 the lord god said to the serpent because you have done this cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life.
1: Okay, so he's giving the penalty to Satan at that point. So what is God's conscience-driven parenting showing us in in this part of the Scripture?
2: Well, Rick, it's utterly consistent. He does not let any sin go unpunished.
1: And see, truly conscience-based response Godly conscience-based response takes care of all the details. And again, folks, look, I know that's hard. And I know sometimes you feel like, well, I care for them, I'll let this one slide. Well, you better be careful about that because caring is courageous action, not how you feel. So God was utterly consistent. He took care of all
2: of the areas of sin. Verse 15 of Genesis 3. And I put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel
1: this and we've talked about this many times jonathan this is one, this is a an early powerful prophecy w- what's it what's it prophesying what's it what's it telling us
2: well rick it's telling us that there is a pathway back uh to his favor and to life for his fallen children wow he gives
1: the ability so so his conscience driven parenting is merciful And it's just. Yes. Because he's saying, okay, to to Satan, he's saying, look, this is going to cost you your life. Because now remember, Satan had been with God for a long, 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 long time. He absolutely, positively knew better. And in that prophecy, he says, it's going to cost you. The seed of the woman, which was prophetically looking at Jesus, will bruise you on the head. will take you out. will kill you. You'll hurt him, but you're not going to kill him. And so God's conscience made a way for justice to be satisfied once Jesus would come so many thousands of years later. It's a powerful tool for us to understand foresight and godly thinking in terms of our own parenting.
2: Rick, as a parent, I wanted to share uh, an experience. Jewel and I always tried to teach our son to be loving and giving and to look for the needs of others. As an adolescent, he asked if he could empty.
1: All right, Jonathan, you just froze. the Reaction up. was what? Okay, you just froze up. Can you just you, he you, he asked to empty? That's all I got. Just finish that.
2: Uh, sure. He asked to empty his bank account for someone in real need. Our first reaction was what? But if we stopped him, he would not have learned that joy of giving. So we let him. He's a married adult now and recently insisted on doing something for his mom and I. And again, we said, What? Why? And he said, Who do you think I learned it from? As a dad, it brought tears to my eyes. I can, I, that's an awesome story, man. And,
1: you know, and, and see, that's the value of powerful parenting is that when you see that child grown up, you see some pretty amazing things in them. And you say, wow, how did that happen? And on all the mistakes we make, you think, well, you know what? God overrules those mistakes. And because you're trying and because you're getting up and trying again and showing them again and again, your failures do not outweigh the power of the positive parenting. It just doesn't. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. So our conscience-driven parenting must be first humble before God. James 1, uh, 19 and 20 to 22.
2: This you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. All
1: right. See, the anger of man doesn't get you anywhere. It's driven by our conscience that is godly. That gets you somewhere. Our conscience-driven parenting must next, after being humble, well, as we continue to be humble, next be receptive to God's word and God's will. And that's James 1, now verse 21.
2: Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls.
1: Okay, so that being receptive to God's word and will. You can't be receptive unless you're humble first. Because if you're not humble first, you're just going to think, you know, I'm doing it my way. And my way is the highway, Jonathan. It's just the wrong way. It's going to get you go, go away where you shouldn't be going. You need to arrive. You need to be present by receiving God's word and will. And then our conscience-driven parenting must be driven to act in accordance with God's righteousness. Not our own thinking, not what I like, not what I feel, but God's righteousness. And James 1.22 is a powerful verse along those lines.
2: But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. This
1: whole lesson, this whole conversation about parenting is about doing. It's not about how you feel. Do you notice that how you feel doesn't come into play anywhere?
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's all about what you do. It's all about what you stand for. It's all about what you're trying to show them in terms of growing and maturing. One last quick comment from Glenn Beck uh, on the epidemic of fatherless children. He makes a very powerful and valid point here.
3: The unpopular truth is we need a nuclear family. We need a father. We need to know what a man is. The nuclear family is not something from the 1950s. It's from the beginning of time. It's the bedrock of every society. And our bedrock has deep cracks into it, and it is starting to shake into sand. You want to know what you can do? If you're a dad, dig in and do better. If you have the means, reach out and be a father figure to somebody who doesn't have a father.
1: You know, the thing he said about the, the nuclear family, it's not from the 1950s, because typically we say, well, you know, you're going back to the 1950s. No, you, he makes an important point. You're going back to the beginning of time. And, and, and that unit was put together for a reason. It works. We need to make the choice to, to go there. So, Jonathan, let's wrap this up. Let's go over all five of these print, uh, parenting principles one more time. Principle number
2: one was what? Let your parental care be action based. Scripture for that? Proverbs 29:14. If a king judges the poor of with the th- uh, if the king judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever.
1: Okay. So there's a principle of acting righteously. And i think that's the point of proverbs 29 we're going to do 14 through 18 that was just verse 14 because each one of these verses is going to fit one of the parenting principles that we've been talking about
2: uh uh, principle number two is what let your parental competence be driven by maturity of character the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother
1: okay and so the second principle is parental competence that's maturity of character All right? Being able to discipline because you've got the character to be able to do it.
2: The third principle is what? Let your parental capability be rich in practical experience. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall.
1: Okay. Parental capability. Competence is internal. Capability is external, and we have to. It says you can understand, you can observe righteousness and wickedness and understand them and know what to do about them. The fourth point is what?
2: Let your parental control override all emotion. Verse 17 Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Don't forget to to use
1: discipline in your family. You've got to be able to discipline your children and do it with control. Anger is not a free pass to discipline. Anger is what you have to get over in order to properly discipline. And what's the fifth uh, point of parental
2: um, responsibility here? Let your conscience-driven parenting always see the big picture. Verse 18, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Your conscience-driven
1: parenting has to see the bigger picture. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that this verse, it's got some parenting in it, and then it ends with this verse that is so, so common. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And, you know, but happy is he who keeps the law. That's the point of parenting. The point of parenting is to have the vision of what makes powerful parenting and then put it in place in your everyday life. It's a really amazing, amazing experience to be able to to do that and to go through that. You know, and God's ending for all of this, Jonathan, is to teach all people his way through Jesus, okay? God's ending to all of this is to be able to parent the rest of the world so that they can see the things that we are learning here, right here, and right now. Folks, look, it's about us being parental in our parenting. It's about us applying principles that are scriptural, that are sound, and that are difficult. It's about us rising above our emotions and putting in place godliness first and foremost so that we can do and think and be all of the things we need to do and think and B For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, take parenting seriously. Go after it. Do the things you need to do. Work at it. Put yourself aside. Put godly principles first and do good for your kids. We'll be back again next week with another subject. Until then, you've got work to do. Think about it. Folks, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at christianquestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions and iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite pod, uh, podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we will be talking about how do you find your way through grief. Talk to you next week.